You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we discuss reconciliation and who holds the responsibility. Through studying God's Word, we see how God wants us to approach reconciliation and who should lead the effort. The church holds true responsibility. Let's get started. Meet me in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. And I want to read much of this story to you, and so bear with me. There are a lot of verses, but I want you to understand this story because of how important it is on this issue of race and reconciliation. In Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse number 1, I just want to read this encounter, this really important encounter that happens in the first century church. And I'm reading from the message translation of God's word, and it starts like this. There was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God and always helped people in need and had the habit of prayer. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. Somebody say vision. An angel of God, as real as his next door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. Then he said, well, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you are to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon the one everyone calls Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard. And he went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and then sent them off to Joppa. The next day, As the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noon. Peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch. And while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the skies open up, something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird that you could think of was on it. Then a voice came and said, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, oh, oh, no, Lord, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. The voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. They called in asking if there was a Simon also called Peter staying there. But Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them, so the spirit whispered to him, three men are knocking at the door looking for you. Get down there and go with him. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Now drop down to about verse 27 just for me to kind of try to abbreviate this as best as I can. So Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. He gets there, and let's pick up the story here. It says, talking things over, they, Peter and the three guys, went into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. 
Peter addressed them. You know, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. Visit and relax with people of another race. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked, but now I'd just like to know why you sent for me. And Cornelia said, well, four days ago, about this time, mid-afternoon, I was at home praying. Suddenly, there was a man right in front of me, flooding the room with light. And he said, Cornelius, your daily prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. I want you to send to Joppa to get Simon, the one they called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down by the sea. So I did it. I sent for you. And you've been good enough to come. And now we are all here in God's presence ready to listen to whatever the master put in your heart to tell us. Peter fairly exploded with good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. Listen to this. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ everything is being put together again, well, he's doing it everywhere among everyone. I want to talk for a few moments about what do we do with all of this? And by way of a subtitle, the answer to that question is but another question, what are you going to do with what he gave you? This series has um, been significant. Hopefully it's been transformative. Hopefully it begins to start a process uh, through which God would continue to move on this critical issue of race. I really believe that there is a stronghold over our city and over our state and the fault line Uh, that so much in our city and state is determined by is this fault line of race. And so this series has been one that I um, really researched, prayed and worked hard and planned for because I really got a sense that every week God wanted us to intentionally look at different components and each week wants to build on the other. We started this series uh, five weeks ago on actually Easter Sunday, really dealing with righteousness first. I know the series is called Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness, but we dealt with righteousness first because it all revolves around the work that Jesus came 2,000 plus years ago to do on the cross. So we, we looked at this, this interaction that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman and how it typifies, exemplifies. It is a picture of the horizontal work that Jesus came to do. And I shared with you in week one the importance of understanding that the context of this encounter is not just Jesus meeting this regular woman at the well, that the Samaritans were actually a different ethnicity, a different race, which is part of the reason why the disciples didn't even want Jesus to deal with this woman. 
but how Jesus is our example in all things, as First Peter tells us. And so, as believers, we have to understand the importance of crossing boundaries and the heart of God for all people. And we dealt with that in week one, and then in week two, we, we came behind that and dealt with, how did we get here? How, how, if God's heart is for all people, if the work that Jesus came to do on the cross is for all, then how in the world did we get to this place of racial division? And so, we dealt with the myth of black inferiority that started all the way with a misinterpretation, taking the Bible out of context around the curse of Ham. And I shared with you how this is so important to know because this was the rationale. This is what the Spanish and the Portuguese and then the settlers of our new world, America, this is what they used to justify um, the capture and the enslavement of, of, of the ancestors of many of us. If you are of African uh, American, meaning you have African descent in your ancestors, this is the rationale that they use to enslave and, and, and mistreat and brutalize our ancestors. And I shared with you in week two how this myth has been perpetuated through education, through history, through media. We just looked at it in all of its iterations and the impact that it is still having on our country. Then in weeks three and four, we began to look at black presence in the Bible. Because part of the reason why many people, particularly you and I, believe sometimes inadvertently in this myth of black inferiority is because for far too long we just believed that nobody that looked like us was even in this Bible. Um, and we spent two weeks dealing with that because I really felt like God wanted you to understand that people of color were never an afterthought in the mind of God. That, that everything that God has done in his word was not to be exclusive but to be inclusive of all people. And so we dealt with righteousness, we have dealt with race, and now it's time for us to turn the corner and deal with reconciliation. Because the question ultimately is, all right, it's been great teaching, great series, a lot of history, but what do we do with all of this? And the answer to that question is found in a thorough understanding of this issue of reconciliation. This is why Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important chapters. I think it is the most important chapter in all of the Bible on this subject of reconciliation because you must understand that racism and its impact are not new issues. Jesus dealt with it. You saw it with how the disciples uh, felt when they found him talking to the Samaritan woman. But not only did Jesus um, have to address this issue of racism and its impact, but the first century church had to deal with it as well. This is why Acts chapter 10 is so important because in this chapter, God is dealing with this issue of racism, even perpetuated by the church. In this chapter, God is extremely clear about how the church is supposed to handle this subject of racism, and God even shows us what reconciliation is and how we as the body of Christ are supposed to go about it. So this is an important chapter. I want to start by giving you what I believe is the most important principle that you have to understand about reconciliation. And so it's this. If you're taking notes, make sure you get this down or type it somewhere in the notes section in the app. This is a very important principle that you must understand about reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is not something that we should wait for. It's something that we must do. It's important, so I'm going to say it again. Reconciliation is not something that we should wait for. It's something that we must do. What do you mean, Bishop, wait for it? Well, a lot of our talk, a lot of our attitude, a lot of our demeanor and disposition really suggests that we are waiting on things to happen so that there can be then reconciliation. Some people are waiting on reparations. And even that demeanor and disposition suggests that you are waiting on something to happen with the hopes that once that happens, then there can be reconciliation. Other people believe, well, if we can have a changing of the guard politically, if we can have a different president or different political leaders, or if we can change laws and legislation, and, and don't get me wrong, it's important to make sure that we address those things, laws, legislation, et cetera, et cetera. But still, even with that mindset, we are still waiting on something to happen in order for there to be reconciliation. And once again, reconciliation is not something that we should wait for. It's something we must do. Amen. What do you mean, Bishop? Well, in order for you to grasp this, first, you must understand, number one, the promoters, the promoters, the promoters of reconciliation. Who are the promoters of reconciliation? This is why going back to Acts 10, uh, when Cornelius has this vision, the angel says, go get Peter. This, this is important. Let me make sure that you understand this story. Cornelius is a Jew. I mean, Cornelius actually is a Gentile, which means that he's a different race, a different culture, a different ethnicity. Cornelius is a Gentile. So Cornelius, this Gentile of, of a different race, different ethnicity, one day has a vision. And he has this vision, and he sees this angel, and the angel says, send men down to Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Um, Peter is staying at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. It's, it's maybe, you know, not far, kind of the distance between, I don't know, Trussville and, and, and Hueytown. Not, not very far, but Cornelius has this vision. The angel says, send folk to go get Peter. Go get Peter. We're going to come back to why Peter. But the next day, when they get close to Peter's house where he's staying, Peter also has a vision. He's hungry, he goes up on the roof to pray, and he starts dreaming about food. Have you ever been so hungry that you go to sleep or you take a nap and you're dreaming about food? Peter has a vision, and he, 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 the Bible says, one translation says it's a vision, another translation says he's in a trance, and he's dreaming about food, and he sees God let down this blanket. Some translations say it's a sheet, but on it are, are all of these different animals and reptiles and birds, and then God says, rise, Peter, slay and eat, or go, kill it, and eat it. You're hungry? Here's food for you. And Peter responds and says, oh, no, no, God, no, 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 no. I have never so much as tasted anything that is not kosher. What does he mean, kosher? Jews follow a very strict dietary regimen. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, there are certain types of food that, that they were uh, asked to abstain from. 
So Peter, as a Jew, says, well, no, 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 no. No, I've never eaten that kind of stuff. There's some stuff on that sheet. I'm hungry, but I ain't that hungry. There's some stuff on that sheet that I'm not going to eat. I've never eaten it. And it says that he begins to argue with God. Three times God says, man, get up, kill, and eat. Nope, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it. That's not, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm vegetarian. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that's not my style. No, no, thank you. God says, boy, you better get up and, and kill and eat that stuff. Peter says, no. I mean, literally three times he's going back and forth with God. Then the sheep goes back up to heaven. Division's over. Three men knocking at the door. Cornelius is told... Go get Peter. Cornelius is a Gentile, different race, different ethnicity. Peter is a Jew. But the angel says to Cornelius, go get Peter. Why Peter? Who is Peter? Peter is the leader of the church. Peter's the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost. He's the first pastor of the first century church. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of souls were, were, were saved and came to the church. God says, you go get Peter. Why? Because God has given the responsibility for reconciliation to the church. And by church, I'm not talking about the four walls of a building. I'm talking about believers, the, the, the believers, the church. We have to lead this issue of reconciliation. We are the promoters of reconciliation. I, I told you at the beginning of this series, part of the reason why there hasn't been significant movement on this issue of race in our country is because the church, the people that are the most adequate to address this issue, we've been silent. Silence is not a big deal. It is when God gave you the responsibility. Amen. What do you mean, Bishop? How do you know God gave, gave the church, us, the responsibility? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. I want you to notice something. This is the Apostle Paul dealing with the same thing. He says, for, the, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Watch this. All of this is from God, who reconciled who? Us, Us to himself through Christ and gave who? Us, Us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And here it is again. And he has committed to who? Us. Us. The ministry of the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Us. us. I got like three us's. Some of y'all like, oh, I don't know if I want to admit that. There is um, a brilliant African-American woman. She is a leading theologian and professor. Her name is Dr. Brenda McNeil, and she wrote a book. If you're interested in doing more reading on this subject of race and reconciliation, she wrote a book called A Roadmap to Reconciliation. And in this book, she says something so profound. She says that reconciliation is God's language for a broken world. 
That's so good. She says, literally, Dr. Brenda McNeil, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant African-American sister, theologian, professor. She says that reconciliation is God's language for a broken world. Why does she say this? Because this is what not only Acts 10 shows us, but this is what 2 Corinthians 5 shows us. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he literally says that it's the love of God that compels us to do this. He's literally saying that based on what God has done for us, we must be motivated to do something for God. That, that, that the love of our master comes with a mandate. And what is that mandate? We are supposed to do something for God. That God says, here's a gift. I'm reconciling you because of how much I love you. I'm bringing, bringing us back together. I cannot stand to be separated from you. But it comes with an obligation. I want you to do for others as I have done for you. This is why the Apostle Paul says, coming back to 2 Corinthians 5, let's hang out here for a minute. He says, all of this, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, then turned around and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And God was reconciling to the, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. And, and Paul says it again. Notice how many times Paul says we have the responsibility. God gave us the message of reconciliation. He has committed to us the, the message or the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Us, 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 us. Not the White House, not the president, not legislation, not people in Montgomery, us. What does this mean, Bishop? It means your theology, listen to me, should inform your anthropology. And your anthropology should inform your sociology. I think I said that too fast. Your theology should inform your anthropology and your anthropology should inform your sociology. What does that mean? How you see God should impact how you see other people. And how you see other people should impact how you see community. How you see God when you understand the heart of the Father and what he's really about and understand his love for you, it should impact how you see other people. You cannot see other people through skewed perspectives and, and through jaded lenses if you really understand God correctly. And if you see people in light of how you see God, then it's going to change the way you do community. It's not just going to be community through exclusivity. It's going to be community through inclusivity, meaning God so loved the world, and so likewise, my circle's got to be broad. See, the reason that this is so important is because often on this issue of race, we spend so much time, listen to me, complaining about people's sociology and their anthropology. I can't believe, I can't believe that they think that, that, that every black person or every white person or every Hispanic person is going to do X, Y, and Z. I can't believe that they looked at me that way. I walked in the store and then they just automatically assume. We spend so much time complaining about somebody's sociology or their anthropology without understanding that we first have got to address their theology. You cannot even begin to change somebody's anthropology, how they see community, and their sociology, how they see others. Are you following me without addressing their theology? 
This is why 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, he has committed to us, to us, the ministry of the message of reconciliation. And he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So, so often when things go sideways, we start saying stuff like, well, where, where is God? I can't believe he let this happen. What do you mean he let it happen? You were there the whole time. So we say things like, I just, I need the Lord to show up because my boss is tripping. What are you there for? God, please, please touch, 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 touch my coworkers hard on this issue of race. Well, God is trying to through you. God, Paul says God is making his appeal through us. So if people are going to get their theology right, how are they going to do it? Through us. Paul says we're Christ's ambassadors. And when Paul uses that language, we're Christ's ambassadors, what Paul is doing is he's using the way that Rome was set up at the time as an illustration. What do you mean, Bishop? There were, there were certain provinces. Rome was divided into different provinces. And there were certain provinces in Rome that were considered imperial provinces. And the thing about an imperial province is that an imperial province, unlike all of the other provinces in Rome, imperial provinces were dangerous. Because there were people who lived in imperial provinces who would rebel and start war with Rome if they could. So what, what Rome would do is that the leaders of Rome would send ambassadors to those imperial provinces to make sure that instead of there being war, there was peace. The role of the ambassador was to go in with messages and, and with information of hope that ultimately would lead to peace, not war. You don't understand what I'm trying to show you. God has not declared war on our country and on our communities. Instead, on the cross, he actually declared peace. But we are the ambassadors that are supposed to go into these provinces and take that message to the places where God dispatched us. So you got to understand that where you work is not just your job. It is a province where you are supposed to be talking about the love of God and the peace of God and demonstrating the heart of the Father. That's why God sent you. That's why God put you there. God, I don't even know why I'm here. You're there for a reason. I need God to show up. He should show up through you. When you walk in the room, everything ought to change. I'm waiting on a move of God. No, you be the move of God. Out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. The word means a change in relationship. But, but it involves three things. And I want you to understand what these three things are because... God has a role to play. He's done one of them, but we're supposed to do the other two. Reconciliation involves three things. The first thing it involves is a removal of walls. Why is this important? Because I've shared with you throughout this series, listen to me very carefully. Racism is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin separates. Sin creates walls that divide. 
right? So in Ephesians 2.14, talking about the horizontal work that Jesus was doing on the cross, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall. He tore it down of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Translation, on the cross, Jesus tore that wall down. This is why the moment he gave up the ghost, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn because that wall of separation was gone. This is why in Christ there is no slave, no free, no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, for we're one. Shouldn't be about white, black, Hispanic, or other. We're one because he destroyed that wall because reconciliation involves the removing of walls. Jesus did that on the cross. But then there are two things that are left that we have to do. Second is the restoration of favor. The restoration of favor is now that the wall is down, now that there is no more division spiritually, sin is gone, is dealt with rather, then the restoration of favor is about the fact that I should then see you differently. You know how when you don't know a person and you see them coming up on you and you don't know if they're an enemy or if you really know them, you, you, you see them a certain way so you're guarded, right? You know? you know what I'm talking about? But the moment you say, you realize, oh, that's, that's cousin. That's, oh. Then your whole demeanor changes because you see them differently. That's what the restoration of favor means. After the wall has been destroyed, which it has been in Christ, now we're supposed to see people differently. That's the restoration of favor. And then the last piece is the reposition of behavior. When you see people differently, guess what follows? You start behaving differently. You treat them differently. Reconciliation involves those three things. Jesus took care of the first one. We have to do the other two. The restoration of favor, how we see people has got to change, but then our behavior has to change. Teach, Bishop, I am. But, but we have to do it. Why? Because we are, as believers, as the church, we are the promoters of reconciliation. But then number two, there's a problem though. There's a problem with reconciliation. There is a problem. There's a problem. This is why if you go back to Acts chapter 10 and verse 28, when, when Peter gets in the house, Peter says, now, 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 <laughs> you, you know, this is highly irregular. <laughs> he, he says, now, we, we Jews, we, we just don't do this now. We just, we don't visit and relax and hang out with people of another race. He, he, he was pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Why? Because there's a problem. The problem for us is when you look at the word reconciliation. If you remember your English classes, you remember that English taught us that whenever there is the prefix R-E in front of a word, it means in essence to do it over. To, to, for an example, to re Call it means at one point you could call something uh, to your memory, but, but you need to do it again. Re 
recall, remember. You had a memory, uh, and now you need to remember. So redo it over again. Recall, remember. Are you reinvigorate? Are you following me? Because re, the prefix re means to do something over again. Re reconcile. Now a couple can reconcile. Right. Right. Um, particularly when a couple maybe has been separated, a divorce, or they broke up, or they want to get back together, amen, you know, and they start playing music and make it like it was. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you, you remember when? You remember? Yeah, come on now, y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, right? And, and it's easy for a couple, in a sense, you know, I'm not trying to make light of difficulties that happen in relationships, but you have a frame of reference in a relationship to reconcile because you can go back and think back to a time when you were happy and when you were together. So happy together. Y'all so quiet. And just, I got no help up in here, up in here, up in here. Right? Reconcile. A couple can do that. Friends who fell out can do that. But there's a problem when you start talking about racial reconciliation. Because there's never been a time in the history of our country, these good old U.S. of A., there's never been a time in the history of our country that we've been so happy together. Because from the very beginning of our country, our country was founded on, on the racial subjugation of people of color. Our country was built upon creating those as, as a cheap uh, workforce based upon a presumption and a lie that they were less than. So then we got a problem. Because you cannot go back and redo something that never existed. How are we going to reconcile when we were not conciled in the first place? I don't know if that's a word. I just maybe made that word up. So how do you, how do you, how do, you do it? How do you do it? Well, well, the problem is it cannot be done in the natural. Right? Racial reconciliation cannot happen in the natural. Even when systems and laws and policies are changed, that's still not the answer because systems and laws and policies cannot legislate a person's heart. Only God can do that. So some of you wonder, where are we going with this, Bishop? It cannot be done in the natural, but, but, but it can be done in the power of the Holy Ghost, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It can be done. It, it cannot be done in the natural, but it can be done in the power of the Spirit. This is part of the reason why God is looking for lives that are fully yielded so, so that people are open for God to release the power of God in their life to work through their life so he can touch other people's lives. I said it too fast. God is literally looking. I hear, I hear the, the, the presence of the Lord. I hear him saying, saying literally the eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, uh, arranging throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for
for people who will say, God, I just want to be used of you because he wants to release the power of God in their life to work through their life to reach other people's lives. But the way God will do it, the, the way that we create space, room for Holy Spirit to move in our lives to that degree is through forgiveness. I don't expect any amens right up in through here. So let me just give it to you since you ain't talking to me no way. The only way that we can be the church and be the people that God wants us to be so the Holy Spirit can work in us and through us to touch others is it has to happen through forgiveness. There can be, listen to, to me, there can be no reconciliation if there is not first forgiveness. There can be, listen to me, no supernatural work of God if there is not first forgiveness. I really wish that I had the time to do a whole message or two just on forgiveness alone. Because I believe that this is an epidemic in the body of Christ. We, we have held on to so much stuff and then we use all of this church jargon to excuse the fact that we are living in unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, get this, creates the room for Satan to work. When you are living in a state of unforgiveness, you are a blank canvas for Satan to do whatever he wants to do in your life. But on the other side, when forgiveness flows from you, you create the space that Holy Spirit needs to work. And I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know some of you are like, but, but see, you just don't understand what I've been through, Bishop. See, part of the reason, part of the reason we get stuck in unforgiveness and we don't forgive, and, and literally we will hold on to things, and a lot of the stuff we're holding on to is not even true. We, we would just hold on to stuff because somebody told us that somebody said X, Y, and Z. And, I mean, we just go off the deep end. Oh, no, they didn't. I mean, and we will hold on to stuff and we will not forgive. And when somebody starts talking about forgiveness, you turn them off. Kind of like some of you trying to tune me off now. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But the reason we do that is because we have a fundamental misunderstanding about what forgiveness is. So, since we're already here and you don't like it, I'll just go ahead and go to the deep end of the pool. Please let me help you understand what forgiveness is not. Sometimes the best way for you to understand what forgiveness is, is when we lay out what it's not. Forgiveness, A, is not minimizing the offense. A lot of people are like, how dare you talk about forgiveness and don't you understand what, what they've done to us and what others have done. I mean, and, and, and I get that. But when I talk about forgiveness, we're not saying you minimize the offense. There have been some horrible atrocities that have been perpetuated and have continued to be perpetuated against people of color. It is ridiculous. It is horrible. And so when we talk about forgiveness as the people of God, we're not saying you minimize that or try to sweep that under the rug. Absolutely not. The other thing that forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. People say, well, just forgive and forget. No, that's not what the Bible teaches you to do. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. This is why it's interesting when people come up to me and say, yeah, I hear you, you're, you're teaching that series, and I just don't understand why we even have to deal with that. I mean, I mean, my goodness, it's 2019, and aren't we beyond that already? Well, I don't hear you saying, aren't we beyond the Holocaust? I don't hear you saying, aren't we beyond 
Instead, we have stuff around like never forget. I mean, right. And we shouldn't forget about how people of color have been treated and mistreated. So forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. But here's another thing, because there's another place we get stuck. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Well, I just I just don't feel it, Bishop. I just don't I don't I don't feel out of my spirit doesn't bear witness with it. I just don't feel like feeling I don't I don't I don't feel like forgiving them and you know I just don't feel it right now. Whenever I feel it is when I'll forgive them. You may never feel it. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Here's another one, and here's the last one. Forgiveness is not about being a doormat. Because the other thing that people say is they say, well, 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 see, I'm, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, Bishop, you go and preach that stuff, you know, and, and, and I, I want you to hear this. this. This is the critique that the enemy will try to level against this kind of teaching. Oh, y'all go over there and, you know, just, you know, preaching the God, what God says, but we out here and we going to make it happen and we going to turn some tables over and do some other stuff because we're not going to let nobody walk over us. When you forgive, you're, you're not being a doormat. In fact, you're actually being victorious. Why? You're victorious because what they don't understand is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so there's really something behind the person that they feel like they don't want to walk over them. And what's behind that behavior, what's behind all of this, is the enemy. And when, and when you forgive and don't take the bait of Satan, you are saying, devil, I am not unaware of your schemes. I know you're trying to push my buttons and send me down a path that will end up in something or somebody being stolen, killed, or destroyed, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to forgive them because I want Holy Spirit to have a clean vessel to do the work that he wants to do through me. As long as you don't forgive, you stay in a prison that somebody else built. As long as you don't forgive, your whole life is lived at the mercy of the enemy and his schemes. You know the only person who wins when you don't forgive is the enemy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what people keep forgetting. As believers, we are commanded to forgive. That's the way that we empower and put ourselves in position for what God wants to do. This is why Paul comes back in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, don't forget all of this is from God who reconciled us to, to, to Christ, through, uh, to himself rather, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And here's the point I want you to see. Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Notice the order. Paul says, God reconciled you through Christ. How? Not counting people's sins against them. Then he turns around and says, and he's giving you that same message. So when you roll up in there saying, well, see, see, they don't, they don't deserve forgiveness because they did this, they did this, they did this. You, you, God is saying, you just missed the message. I didn't treat you that way. Uh, okay, I got... 
I got three amens. I got about 15 grunts and some snide looks. So let me give it to you another way. Hebrews 8 and 12 says that he will forgive their wickedness. God says, I will forgive their wickedness. Some translations say sin and remember their sins no more. This is what he does for us when we open our heart and, recept, and accept Jesus, receive him as our Lord and personal Savior. God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. How can an omniscient, all-knowing God not remember? Some of you get this on Tuesday. If God is all-knowing, then how can he say, I will remember their sins no more? A sovereign God has to choose to in that moment inflict himself with amnesia and say, even though I know the junk that you've done, I'm going to look at you and I'm not going to hold that against you. He says, I will choose not to remember your stuff no more. That's what we're supposed to do when we come into contact with difficult, cantankerous folk. God is saying, literally, you know you did it. I know you did it. Everybody else knows you did it. You messed up, tore up from the flow up. You made too many mistakes to try to act like you ain't never done nothing. But when I look at you, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to look past that and see the potential, see the love that I have for you. And I'm going to deal with you like that, not based on your junk. That means, that means, that means that when you come into contact with some folk, that, that, that still may need some help with their theology on this issue of race or any other issue. You shouldn't use their shortcomings as an excuse. But say, I can't deal with them because they said that. And they did this. Do you know what it would look like if God said, well, let's just, um, let's just open up your book. Let's just, let's just expose your stuff. For some of us, let's just talk about last night. Literally, God, God is saying, so do you really want to play comparison? I mean, because if you want to, we can go there, but, but it ain't going to work out quite like you want it to. Do you hear what I'm trying to teach you? Amen. I'm like, God, you don't have to go there with me, brother. I'm telling you. I, I'm good. I got the memo. So what this means, literally, what this means is that we, we have to forgive. I told you in this, this series about when I was in the fifth grade and lived in Houston, Texas, and how my next door neighbor was my friend until one day I went there and knocked on his door, see if he can come out and play. And he opened the door. He, he, he spat on me. And he said, my daddy said that, that I can't play with niggers. See, I, I, gotta, I gotta forgive him, and I have. I may never see Evan, I don't know where he is in the world. But if I ever see him, the, the one good thing that I know is that there is not this check in my heart that, 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 that still makes me feel like I gotta, I gotta get him straight. Do you hear what I'm you know, I told you about the lady when I was a freshman at DePaul who said, I just don't think you have the goods to be, to be here. You know, now I will tell you, back in the day, there were some times 
you know, I mean, when, you know, when I, when I was working at the Vatican and living in Italy, there were a few times in my flesh that I said, now, if I could just find that, half, I mean, that woman, if I could just find the one time, if I could just find the one time and tell her, check me out now, after I've been chilling with, with the Pope, just, you know, check me out one time. There, there were a couple of times, but, but even then, God was saying, but hold on, hold on. God, God clearly said, hold on, son. I cannot use you like I want to use you. If that stuff is still in your heart, you, you, you got to deal with that, and you have to forgive. Y'all, this is why this whole encounter, I got to hurry up. This is why this whole encounter revolves around Peter. Because who is Peter? Yes, he's the, the, the pastor of the New Testament church, first century church. But man, if anybody out of all of the disciples messed up time and time again, it was Peter. And so notice that, that the angel tells Cornelius to, to go get Peter. Not, not John, not James, not any of the other disciples, not Bartholomew, not, not John the Lesser. He says, no, no, go get Peter. Why? Because if anybody should understand the power of forgiveness, it should be this joker who fell numerous times. And, and I got to run um, to, to a close, but, but I want you to understand, y'all, God is the great equalizer. That's the whole point here. God is the great equalizer. Because if God is not in the equation, we will forever go back and forth. Oh, they did this and they did that. And you know what they're saying on the other side? Well, I don't understand why, why y'all do this and y'all do that and so, 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 and so. I mean, it's just this incessant back and forth and nothing is changing. Because nothing helps when we just point fingers and pass judgment on each other. But when God is in the equation and God says, no, 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 wait a minute. You need to forgive because I forgave you. Then that shuts down my ability to critique you. And you know, you know how people change in their theology? You know how you become an ambassador? It's when they see God in you. When, when, when they know that you could have come back and said something heinous and janky and you could have been just as ugly as they were to you, but then they see Christ in you, that's the intro, the, the entree or the intro that God uses to begin to touch their heart and do a work in them. Are you following me? Let me, let me hurry up. Praise team, I want you to, to flow with me because we're going to end in a very special way. So I want you guys to, to try to get in position really quickly. Um, Mark, Charmaine, and, and others, I want you to just try to catch what God is saying in the spirit here. I want to end by talking about the position for reconciliation. And I want you to see a couple of key phrases. Go back to Acts 10, verse 28. The message translation, Peter says it this way. But God has just shown me that no race is better than the other. Drop down to verse 34. It says, Peter exploded with good news. It says, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. That's the message translation. I want you to see it in the NIV. I want you to key in on this phrase. In the NIV, he says, but God has just shown me. He's just shown me is the NIV. And then you drop down to verse 34, and he says, I now realize. See it? But God has just shown me. Or I now realize. Why do I want you to see these phrases? Because these phrases in the original Greek, they are in the present active tense. 
And when something in Greek is written in the present active tense, it literally means that it's happening right now. That it is unfolding right in the moment. Right? So let me give you the, 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 the translation of what Peter means. Oh! Wow! I, I get it. Oh! It just dawned on me. Oh, so that's how you roll. Oh! This whole time I thought you only cared about the Jews in one race. Wait, wait a minute. You care about everybody. No race is better than the other. Ah, I get it now. See, your walk with God, listen to me, should always be progressive. Meaning, meaning the more you walk with God, he, you ought to always be having those, oh, kind of moments. Oh, I get it now. Wow, I didn't, I didn't quite understand it then, but oh, I get it now. You, you, this is why so much of the Bible is about a journey, about walking. Abraham walked with God. Moses had to lead the children out of Israel and walk with God, follow him. He fed them by, by manna from heaven, water out of a rock, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. It was all about God leading them, them following him. You follow me? David talked about how God is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads the sheep. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple you got to deny yourself take up your cross and follow me meaning that your walk ought to always be progressive the more you walk with God the more your demeanor ought to change the more your mind ought to change the more your heart ought to change every day you ought to be saying oh ah I get it God now I see and here's the point if you're not having those kind of moments and aha, oh, I get it. Oh, God, I used to see this one way, but oh, now I really get it. If you're not having those kind of moments, chances are you stopped walking with God a long time ago. If you are still stuck setting your ways, if you only see things one way, if you've held one position for 30 years and all black folk can do is this and all white folk can do is this and all Hispanic folk can do is this, you are stuck. You are not walking with God. This is the challenge, y'all, that Peter's having in Acts 10. He almost missed it. He's having this challenge because he got stuck. Why? Because since Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the church was all Jewish. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. All Jewish. But now you get to chapter 10. God is integrating the church. And Peter, for a moment, this is why he's arguing with God. I know I'll never eat that. I'll never eat anything that's not kosher. And, and he goes back and forth three times because he's kind of stuck. He's kind of stuck. And God says, no, you can't get stuck if you're going to roll with me. You cannot be stuck if you're going to be my ambassador. You got to understand that my kingdom is bigger than one race. My kingdom is bigger than one way. And I don't care if you think it's unclean. Whatever God has said is clean is clean. I don't care how you think about black folk, white folk, yellow folk, brown folk, Chinese, Asian folk, God cares about all of them. And Peter, you better get the memo when God says they're clean, everybody's clean, and everybody needs to be coming up in here in God's house. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? Peter's struggling. He almost missed it. He's struggling because Peter in that moment is more 
in tune to his culture than to his Christianity. So let me just go ahead and ask you a hard question. Are you more black than saved? Are you, are you more white than walking with Jesus? Are you more Hispanic than holy? Why are you asking these questions, Bishop? Because you will never allow your ethnicity to overshadow your spirituality. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.